Causing the Effect, a podcast focused on the exploration of your mind, body, and spirit. what's going on people uh if you're watching on youtube welcome uh if you're listening yo causing the effect podcast uh i am here with two very important gentlemen well important to me at least um andrew and ray the dualistic unity podcast i cannot recommend them more highly enough just two real dudes i'll let you guys tell a little bit about yourselves first before we jump into this this craziness all right well i I am the universe experiencing itself that identifies as Andrew for convenience sake. Um, I create content now mostly focused on the recognition that I am you and separation is an illusion. Uh, What kind of got me down this path initially was dealing with a lot of social anxiety growing up when I was in high school, uh, peaked probably like 10 years ago when I was 16, I'm 26 now. and yeah, really enjoy creating content. I do a full-time job that I do. I think of that more so my sidekick now. And I just really enjoy having conversations like I'm sure the one we're about to have on this podcast. I am the same awareness that he is, except I go by the, the name Ray. Um, I've been on the path for a long time, so I'm slightly older and more weathered. Um, I was a life coach for a number of years. Uh, I've done a lot of different things in a lot of different places and met a lot of different types of people. I've been on the path for about 20 years, just recognizing that everything that I perceive myself to be is not necessarily the truth and that perception itself should always be questioned because what remains at the end of our question is reality us without the perception of division. And so it's always just getting out of the way of our assumptions. And so that's me in a nutshell. I've been on that path forever. And most people consider me crazy or insightful. One or the two. I would go with insightful. And I'm so happy that you guys introed with this, because I'd say a lot of people who are listening are on that intermediary path, similar to where I am three, five, six years. And as you go down this, you start with your, your doing, you start with your Tony Robbins, your power, your goals, your all the momentum. And then you start finding out other stuff. You find the new age Joe Dispenza. Then you find the Bhagavad Gita. Now, now you're just spread, spread across then. And I, exactly what kind of you were saying, it's like, this could be we- wearing you down a little bit. And I feel like as I go through this process, the more aware I become, it's almost like I, I almost want to take the blue pill and go backwards and just be unconscious because it's like, what, what is the point of this? If I see everything and I can't quite change it yet. Now I haven't told this is the hardest part of the, of the struggle, but have do you guys know what I'm talking about when you could kind of, you're the observer, you get to that level and you can't, you're like in a little bit of a sticky face. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think my, my uh, experience with that is far more recent than Ray's and I'm still in the thick of it, okay. I would say, but yeah, there was a point that exactly when it was maybe a month or two ago where I, I had a, just felt a lot of weight on myself and Ray could sense it as well. And, and there was a day, it was a Sunday I cried for like four hours, like face down on that futon behind me. And I texted Ray and I was like, man, honestly, this has gotten to be a lot. Like, I don't know. I I'm very overwhelmed, blah, blah, blah. And part of me, and I hate to say this wishes that I could go back to being less aware 
because it's very overwhelming. And something I found with that was like, there was still a lot of identity that I was clinging to, even though I felt like, you know, I wasn't Andrew and didn't identify as much with that. It was still a sense of separation. And I think because it's such a just jarring realization that's so different from the way that, you know, all the people that you described, like Tony Robbins, Joe Dispenza, all those people kind of express a specific path and right way to do things. So the recognition that there isn't, and it all comes back to you and there is no right or wrong, there is no good or bad, but there are consequences to everything that you do. So it's not that you can rely on someone else to tell you what to do. It all comes back to you. And there's been a lot more sensitivity that I've built to that realization and it helps a lot, but it's certainly a, a turbulent journey. But the more you recognize that, the the easier it gets. But yeah, short answer. Yes, absolutely. Feel that 100%. Dude. And I, I was, I don't know if we were crying on the same day, but I've been doing, I've been doing a ton of crying. Not going to lie. Uh, a lot of shit. I would say th- there's this whole spiritual thing. Then it's like my aunt got diagnosed with, with cancer a couple of weeks ago. And then when things start going bad for me, I end up reverting back to the retrogression of your old self, which for me is you fucking pick the vice and I'm going to do it. It's been gambling. It's been the, 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 the pick of choice. So that's just been coming up. And it's like you keep getting in the way of yourself at this point. And well, right. I want to see what, what do you have to say about all this struggling going on in this intermediary step that we're in? I'm old and I, I recognize that it goes on for a very long time, um, but it's it's a wave. Like you're going to have days where you're like, yeah, I'm on the ball, no problem. And then things are going to go half-assed sideways as you've experienced. And you're going to end up reverting back to the energy source that you're used to using when things are uncertain. And that's it, is that we revert back to this false sense of certainty, this false sense of self. We always go back to that. Andrew was talking about this uh, a couple months back. We were talking about when you're hungover, how you immediately start to kind of beat yourself up and think about it and judge your life and do all this. And it's like, yeah, because you're reaching for that illusion of yourself for an energy source because you feel low. Right. And so you're just reaching for that to give yourself some semblance of control and certainty again, but there's always a cost to it. So I've done this, this merry-go-round so many times in my life. Like I've beaten my head bloody against that wall for sure. And what you start to realize is that there's a very big difference between thinking that you need to do something and recognizing that you always are even in your days when you're feeling low even in your days when you're you know off the ball as it were you can't unsee the lessons that you've seen you can't unsee the insights that you've had they're already in there and and though you may be distracting yourself from them they're still processing and that's one of the reasons you are distracting yourself is because you are so much more aware so it's important to just again celebrate when you notice like the fact that you're noticing now, like I, I kind of fell off the ball. Perfect. Now you've recognized that, but you've recognized that because of how much you've already changed. And, and it's important to realize after a certain point in your path that, and this is true for my path, especially like I felt for the longest time, like I was driving somewhere. I was trying to get to a certain state of mind and I was leaving a wake behind me as it were. It was just a direction. Then you get to a point where you're like, wow, I'm not actually going anywhere. There's nowhere to go. I'm always me here now. So you stop striving and you realize that the entire time you've been sending off ripples that affect everything. You are reality. 
right? Sometimes people that feel like, oh, I should be more sociable. I should go out and do this more. I should volunteer more. You could sit in a room by yourself and never talk to a single person. And that would still not change the fact that you are intimately connected with reality. You change the universe as you change because you are the universe. So the more you start to recognize that, the less you beat yourself up, the more you start to realize that no matter where you are, you're already changing. It's already happening. Just relax into it and there will be less distortion. Yeah, it sounds like your relationship with this whole, with the, with, I'll just call it the dark side. It just sounds like it's more entertaining for you by this point. Like you kind of know it's going to come at some point and it's like, this is the way it is. And it's just going to keep, is this just what continues to happen? It's more about how you handle dealing with this process. Yeah, absolutely. Because life is always going to come around and, and throw uncertainty under you. And so if you embrace that, then it's just, oh, here I am again, a challenge. Oh, here I am again, frustrated. And I know that that, that has a certain amount of time that I'm going to go through that. And you can actually start to develop that sensitivity, like on large projects where I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea where to go. I will feel that frustration, that full body tension and that heat and that whole discomfort. And it gets to the point where I'm like, Oh, I recognize that the answer has got to be around here somewhere. And it is, it ultimately is. And so, yeah, I don't get as caught up in it anymore. And everything is more or less just a chance to practice staying balanced. That's all it is. So this is sort of like a test to check your balance and check the skills to see if you, because for me, I'm so perplexed by this whole thing. Cause I was like, I'm ready. Nothing bad could happen. I fucked up with gambling a little bit. I'll tell you guys quickly what happened. We get the, I get the biggest deal in the history of the of our company, whatever. You're making like a six-figure deal. I'm like, oh, great. So now you can gamble away whatever amount of dollars, 20, 30 grand. So I do that, but I'm like, oh, I still got the deal. Then the deal blows up in my face last week. So now I'm like, now I'm double in the hole. How did I get to this place? You fucking idiot. Like it, it's so, I just found this so, because I was kind of laughing now that it's so interesting the way that these tricks are played on you in your life. Like, okay, you think you can handle it? Well, could you handle double negative or this, and then a little, did a little family issue and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, man, that's really interesting. Andrew, how did you, um, how are you holding up and how did you get through that kind of down point? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, talking to Ray always, always helps in yeah. some way, shape or form. Um, but <laughs> I think with those things and with that specific situation, it wasn't even like any stark realization. It was just, I think talking about it and being open about it for a little bit allowed it to be released in a way. Cause I had so much bottled up inside of me of just like overwhelmed that I just needed a day to, to release it and then recognize that none of it was ever as bad as I thought that it was in my head. Um, but something I think that helps me a lot with this recognition of just this path that we're on that goes nowhere and is always here now as me is that when things do happen that historically I would have labeled as, as a bad situation or judged it as something shitty that happened to me or anything like that, the more I go through those situations and see that on the other side, there was something that I learned from that, or it led me down another path that I now labeled as good. It's like that good thing wouldn't have happened without the bad thing. So all of a sudden now moving forward, it's like when those bad quote unquote bad things happen, I don't get so worked up because I'm like, okay, right now this seems super bad. I could label this as bad and get all worked up and, and think a certain way, which would only exacerbate my suffering and make me feel worse. Or I could take a step back 
realize that, oh, I've been through shitty situations before. They ended up teaching me a lot. Some of them, there was a situation last summer that was like one of the toughest weeks of my life. And on the other end of that, I woke up and recognized that I'm not Andrew. And it was the lowest week of my life to like the most freeing, stark realization I've ever had in my entire entire life and maybe ever will for my entire life. So seeing that, that like, that was a really tough week and it ended with that. And the whole time I kind of knew like, there's something that's going to come out of this because I had been through other situations in the past and as difficult as it was, I was like, something's going to come out of this. So the more you can see that, the more you go through things and, and get through them and see the other side and see that there was some, you know, good that came of it or that it was just an objective situation that you were only labeling as bad helps a lot. And so it helps with things moving forward as well. Yeah, I heard two things coming out when both of you were talking about it, it seemed like re- identity and then the perception of reality. Now, for you, Ray, how much are those intertwined to you? And I mean, I'll just give you that and then we'll take it from there. They're absolutely intertwined. My, my identity and my perception of reality go hand in hand. The more I identify, the more my, my perception of reality is divisive. Right. The more I conceptualize who I am, the less I am everything else. So the more that I have an idea of myself, the more my my experience of reality changes. And so it's always just a matter of, of recognizing that to the most part. And I wanted to, to mention this specifically in regards to um, your situation and what you're going through, because you can beat yourself up for the choices that you make. You, you can beat yourself up for the pattern that you just experienced or you can remove yourself from that entirely and just look at the pattern. You don't have to beat yourself up or identify with the choice whatsoever, but you can look at it for what it is and where it comes from. You can look at the fact that whenever you're feeling up, you want to keep feeling up, right? When chasing the high, that's a natural thing. And why? Well, because ultimately the moment isn't that satisfying most of the time when we're still thinking about ourselves. And so when we're not feeling you know, super low, we just want it to keep going. And then we end up making decisions that are imbalanced as a result. We overcommit, we, over, we overindulge, we fall off the horse as it were. And then all of a sudden consequence ensues. And so we can look at that pattern and not identify with it. We can look at the fact that, yeah, you might be down more money right now, but you've been down money before. You are still the same adaptable person you always have been, and you will ultimately get out of this five years down the road. You'll barely remember this happened until you listen to this podcast episode, possibly. But the point is, is that you don't have to make it about you as an idea. You can just adapt to it. That's it. I see. I see why you, why you like talking to this guy, Andrew. You could just you could just text this guy, and he just gives you this knowledge. Every I would be I would be tortured, right? Now you said something interesting. It's not about you, and. I started making this realization as you go down this path and just like, how selfish am I as a human being that I literally think this whole thing's about me. And it's, it's just, how did you guys make that, that kind of shift? And it sounds like you guys already did this with this, you know, you're not Andrew, you're not Ray anymore. How did this process look like from a, just more of a high level? I mean, get, you go, go in deep depth as you like, but. Um, yeah, I can, I can talk about my initial realization um, was I was, I was dealing with just like some personal stuff, intrusive thoughts, like we'll get into details on that, but I, I was going through that for about a week. And then I one day recognize very starkly and clearly that I don't have a past. And 
it wasn't even that I recognized that, but I imagined for a second that I didn't have a past because everything I was worrying about was something that happened in the past. And, you know, I was worrying about it happening again in the future. That's a lot of times how, how it plays out. So I just allowed myself to imagine for a second that I didn't actually have a past. There was no, there were, there were memories, but they weren't personal to this idea of Andrew anymore. And I was just aware of what is aware of the moment here. Now I was walking around New York and I was like, holy shit, that feels really fucking good. You know, I feel very, very light and free. Everything that I was so worried about no longer has to do with me as this awareness of what is here and now. And so then I went a little bit deeper and, and kept kind of diving into that. I was like, well, you know, if I'm not the past, I'm just right now, then am I Andrew? Because this idea of Andrew, everything I think of having to do with him has to do with the past. So if I'm not the past and I'm just right now, then am I Andrew? And with that, I was like, holy shit, like I'm kind of, I'm kind of free, free from this, free from this narrative because your idea of yourself at least from what I've, you know, understood is, is basically always rooted in the past. When you ask someone to describe themselves, you know, tell me about yourself, say in an interview setting, they just riddle off a bunch of shit that they did in the past. And it's everything leading up to right now, but you have never experienced anything that isn't right now. So being able to recognize that distinction all of a sudden creates just enough space to, Allow yourself to be free from the narrative, from the story. When you when you clearly see that you are not this story that you tell yourself that you are, so that for me was was kind of it. And I still get caught up in, in identity and whatnot, but I think that recognition has helped a ton. And yeah, I mean, and through that, it's like all of a sudden I'm I'm living life as this nameless awareness. So I'm not as much I'm still perceiving it through this lens and definitely get involved with the, you know, identification and whatnot all the time, like happens all the time, but I'm no longer filtering everything and every event that happens through how Andrew is being perceived. It's more so this nameless awareness and there's nothing to perceive with that. There isn't a story for other people to judge and perceive. They want to keep looking at me as Andrew and, and think of me as this named character, then, you know, that's their problem. I don't give a shit. Like if they want to do that, but because I have very clearly recognized that I'm not this character, I am them as the awareness of existence here and now, nothing more, nothing less. I love, I love that. And just to add to that, I've been taking these, uh, I don't know, I think we may have spoke about it on your podcast, but like every year I've been taking these trips by myself where I just get off the phone. It started two weeks in Hawaii, then it was three weeks in Jamaica. Now it's, you know, um, it's going to be five weeks in Switzerland. It's like, I want to be formless. And that's what, you know, a shaman had to go into the wilderness and kind of just find out who you actually are, not from a book, not from self-knowledge, but just through like introspection. And just by when you start, when I, when I'm away, something weird happens. Like you start, you stop looking at the world in words and you start seeing it for symbols. And it's like, it's just a, it feel, I feel like, you know, the way you're doing, it's much easier just being aware of this. I should probably just try that, but it, it's like resistance has been lifted. The, the, the weight that is on me, this whole, all, the, all this identity of Scott, the, the great Scott for these people, this work in Scott, the podcast, it's all removed. And I, 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 I feel like that's who I am as, as a true individual, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I know exactly what that's like, but it's important to remember that no matter what you're doing, 
you're still you, right? It's just you in a different function, you in a different form, right? Underneath whatever it is you think you're doing is still the you that's always there and always has been there and always will be there. It's the same you that I am and Andrew is and everything else, right? And it's important to remember that because while it's nice to be able to get away, and I know, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but when I was younger, after waking up uh, several years later, I needed to really refine this. And so I, I, I was with my girlfriend, at, who is now my wife, but at the time, uh, I told her, I have to leave. Sorry, this has been fun. I've really enjoyed this. It's not personal, but I need to get away. I need to know how little I need. And I was planning on just running off to the forest, building a shack out of scraps and living in it. And I did for eight months and she came with me. And so for eight months, we lived here on Vancouver Island, um, just on the West Coast. We had all the, um, the weather coming out of Hawaii across the ocean. So it was nice all winter long, barely snowed at all. But yeah, we built a shack out of scraps and lived in the forest off of dandelions and mussels off the beach. And it was wet and cold and stinky and everything else. And it was probably the best part of my life. But you can't do that all the time. You have to be able to recognize that that, that freedom is always here. So long as you don't attach to your surroundings. Mm, wow. I, so how was that for eight months, you being in a shack and how like, you must have a chill wife, man. <laughs> she's, she's definitely changed over time. Uh, when my wife and I first met, we were very, very different. She came from an upper middle class family. I came from a broken home, you know, in poverty, hadn't seen my family in years and, and, and just mass toxicity. And so we came from very different perspectives of the world and we more or less just kept you know, arguing and arguing and arguing about what was real and what wasn't until we realized, Oh, we're real. The conversation that we're having is just us coming closer and closer to recognizing that we're not divided in this relationship or in any other relationship. And so that's, what's kept us together just for today. Right. It's just for today. It's never for tomorrow or for next year or for down the road. It's always just today. So the, the key of, of really both of you, of, of your guys is kind of stories here is living in the present moment and making sure that you are this full awareness. And I'm, I'm assuming we don't think about the future either. Cause that's just going to give you anxiety and depression and, you know, every, I, I typically will, I do so worst case scenario in the future. It's, it's terrifying. And like, I can't, you know, when, when, when I'm in it and I'm mindful, I'm good, but it's easy to kind of, you know, repress yourself back to the old ways, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I get that. Cause I, that was a, that was a big thing for me. It was like, just worry, constant worry, constant hypothetical situation about what I think might happen. And holy shit, I hope that doesn't happen. Cause that would be terrible for Andrew, if this happened, it was constant worry and, and fear of the future and what people think of Andrew was, was the main sort of struggle that I went through. And a lot of my content now talks about how just people don't think about other people that much. That was like, you know, part of this path to understanding. And, and that was, you know, a lot of that's rooted in the self-help type narrative. And, and now it's just, it's been recognizing it's not even that you have to stop caring about what other people think, or they're not talking about you very much. It's recognizing that, you know, you are them and there is nothing that's actually dividing you. They are another incarnation of you. And so if they are judging you, then as Ray says this all the time, but if they're judging you, they don't see you and recognizing what you actually are as the present moment. It's not even something that you experience it's it's what you are it's what you've always been it's what you always will be 
in that recognition, there isn't really much to fear anymore or to, to worry about or to be afraid of because, you know, when you recognize that you are the eternal awareness of existence, it's, it's very freeing. And it's, it's also not to say that it's the easiest thing ever as simple as sometimes people can make it seem it, it isn't super easy because in a lot of ways, the society that we exist in is very, very identified. And, you know, someone like take Jesus, for example, or Yeshua, he, he recognized this and they put him up on a cross and killed him. So yeah, glad we're, we don't have to worry about that anymore. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, But now Um, I I wanted to mention something quickly, just because um, while it is true that it's important to recognize you are the present moment, that is the reality of your existence. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a hell of a lot easier to do when you're single and on your own. Um, When like, I'm a dad, I have a daughter and I've had, uh, she's 14. Now I have my wife to worry about. I have a house I have to take care of. She has to go to school. Like these are all considerations for the future. These are all things that I have to think about. You said your daughter's 14. Yes. You have a daughter that's 14. What'd you have when you were negative four? I was 27. Oh my God. Wait, you're 40. I'm 42. That's crazy, bro. We got to We got to age like, like Ray, man, like fine wine. Just keep laughing. All right. I'm sorry. Ray. Back back to the story. Back to the story. the The point is, is that there's that balance, right? Because as much as it's true, everything is only the present moment it's always been true that we still exist in the experience of time. Like it doesn't matter if we're in a capitalistic society or, you know, it's 2000 years ago where you're, you know, a farmer and worrying about the crop each season, right? Like regardless, there is still some experience of time, some requirement to at least have a direction, if not necessarily a set end point. And I think that that's very much something that's helped me over, over the years has been realizing that as long as I don't get, so caught up in the end point being what I expected or wanted or, or need it to be, everything's just fine. Like I can plan for the end of the months for rent, or I can plan for next year for, for going on vacation or something like that. But if something doesn't work out, it doesn't bother me. If something goes in a different direction entirely, I just adapt. I don't complain about it. I don't identify with it. I don't go, Oh, why me or any of that. And, and that's very much the point is that regardless of experiencing time, the rudder is always in the moment. And so I'm always worrying about the quality of where I am now, even when I'm perceiving some possible future. Now, what kind of practices have each of you, because I know we're seeing kind of the finished product here and it seems it's easy, you know, this stuff is simple to talk about, but it's not easy, right? What are some practices that you guys have taken to do it? Like for me, I started off with Spenza and I don't know. It just didn't, the spirit, I don't know. It just didn't hit me now. It just doesn't, I, I, I did this during COVID, right? So it was me by myself. We were working a little bit, but I'm the boss. I was just meditating for three hours a day. And I'm like, oh, life is great. This is the way. And now I'm going to the city four days a week. And I want to smack people in the face again. And I'm like, how do you, what, you know, what gives is, do I have to change or does the environment have to change? Should I move? I'm looking at houses in Hawaii. I'm like, what, what is going on here? What, what did your process look like to get to where you are? Uh, it's certainly been a process and to say that I am any sort of finished product is not, you know, not even, not even close. Mm-hmm. I, I deal with shit all the time and, and it's like, I'm still worried about stuff that, you know, and, and regret things that I did, but I think with all of it and with the journey and say going through and 
you know, getting pissed off at someone. I think the, one of the biggest things that's helped me is doing my best to not judge myself along the way and recognizing that this is like a, a pendulum swinging back and forth and between recognizing that you are the awareness of the universe here and now only the present moment and fully identifying as Andrew, this human with likes, dislikes, desires, wants, fears, and all of that. And so I think as you go, say, I, I will still get worked up about stuff. Like, you know, I, I, if I go visit my family, there's going to be some, some times where I'm very short and, you know, yell and, and whatever it's, it happens. And I think it's just the recognition, you know, the path is that recognition that you did take something too seriously and just being able to see it, even if it happens and you let it go for like, you know, let it keep going, the, the anger or the, the worry or anything. At some point you recognize that you don't have to keep clinging to this. There isn't a benefit to staying angry at this person or staying worried about this thing. It's not going to actually benefit you in, in any way. So just that recognition, whenever it comes, whether it comes, you know, a split second later, cool. That's great. Whether it comes four days later, cool. That's great. You recognized it. And instead of being like, Oh fuck me, it took me four days to recognize this. Like I must be really slacking. Like I'm not, maybe I'm not as good at this stuff as I thought. It's like, all it is, is the recognition whenever it comes, that's enough. So not judging yourself along the way helps and realizing that you are always, you know, quote unquote, I don't even like saying getting better, but you know, improving is as long as you continue recognizing that and also recognizing that there isn't anything to improve, you know, you're already as whole and complete as you could possibly be ever. That recognition is a good step in a direction as well is how, how I'll put it, I guess. So it sounds like you're, you're, you're being, you're doing a lot of introspection and a lot of, you're just very aware at this point of, of catching and observing your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that I think, yeah, I, I used to meditate a ton. I don't as much anymore. Um, and it's not like it was super beneficial, I think, but I think once you're able to sort of recognize things and be aware of things as they're happening, you know, life sort of becomes a meditation and I'll still sit down because just because I kind of like it, I'm like, holy shit, my mind's pretty damn quiet these days. And it's, it's kind of cool to sit down and close my eyes and just use my imagination to do whatever I want. A lot of times before I fall asleep, I'll just be like, let's go travel somewhere and, and end up in some, you know, tropical Island. And so it's like, when you're able to see your mind as a tool and an opportunity to experience new ways of existence, it becomes all of a sudden, it's not this enemy anymore that you have to fight, but it's just a tool that you can work with. Uh, but yeah, as, as you catch things and intrusive thoughts, as you go, that's sort of the, the practice in itself as, as the best meditation you could ever do. That's awesome. The practice is life itself, man. That's really cool. What about you, Ray? That was really well said. Yeah, that's beautiful. The, the, the practice is life itself. You're absolutely right because it's not, it's such a process, right? Because you are working on yourself and then you start changing and your reality changes as a result. But it's so important to recognize that there is a benefit, if you want to call it that, 
to conflict. There is a benefit to suffering. There is a benefit to frustration and anger in that it all reinforces the ego. It all reinforces the illusion of who we are. And, and it gives us some sense of false certainty. It gives us some sense of control. It gives us some sense of, you know, where I stand amongst everything else. I'm right. They're wrong. I'm better. They're worse, that kind of thing. And, and so there is some juice that we get out of that conflict. And, and it just comes down to recognizing that we immediately fall into it because we perceive a need. We perceive a need in the investment in our ego. And as long as we have a need, we don't have choice. As long as we're, in, it, we're, we're stuck in that perceived lack, that's all we're ever doing is chasing. We have no choice. We're running from the stick or chasing the carrot. And so we feel confined and that's a very frustrating feeling. And so one thing that helps is to recognize it, regardless of where you are, regardless if you're going to a job you don't enjoy every day, or regardless if, if you're, you're on the bus or you're in traffic or anything, remember your choice. You chose to be here. You're choosing to be here. You're choosing how to respond to this. Everything is your choice. It has been all this time. And you might, you might be choosing something you don't necessarily enjoy, but you're doing it probably for something that you do enjoy. You may not enjoy your job, but you enjoy the time it gives you to explore your own, your own life. You enjoy the time it gives you to explore other things, right? And so it just comes down to, this is my choice. Now, with that awareness comes the, the opportunity to change that choice. That's the beautiful part about that. It's like, yeah, I'm choosing to go to work so I can do this later. Yeah, you know, now I think about that. That's really not the, the trade-off I thought it was. I'm going to do something different. But until you recognize the need, until you recognize the pattern, where, where that, that juice is coming from, it's very difficult to get out of that cycle, right? So it is a one-step process of awareness. But it, it, it's, again, it's an infinite onion. Like, you just got to keep shaving off those layers until you recognize, I am responsible for my response now. That's it. That's my whole life, my response to now. Man, you guys make this stuff sound so simple. And it's like, if you sold me this today, I, like uh, the pre like the, the guy I was telling him, talking to you about the president of three jewels, just tell him, just sell the train and just feel compassion for, for the homeless guy that comes up to you and feel just, you know, you got to feel compassion because you're planting the seed and you're doing the thing. And uh, oh my God, it's just, uh, it, it's really just, <laughs> sometimes it's frustrating. But now that you, you mentioned lack. Um, and my question for you guys is, is, do we all have this embedded lack inside of us? Or is that a perception? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, are, are you saying like, is it an inherent quality? Yeah, yeah inherent quality of, of just that's built in us more of like uh, from a revolution, uh, evolutionary standpoint. So I'll go, I'll take this in a certain direction, but uh, yeah, definitely let Ray take it after me. So <laughs> I think, no. First of all, no, there isn't, you know, you're not born with a sense of lack that it's like this, this feeling that you have to overcome or something. I think if anything, it's something that is taught to us and it's rooted in ego and our identification and our sense of separation, you know, the illusion of duality in the illusion of duality, there will always be lack as long as you think that you are what you think you are. Because in that existence, in that illusion, in that illusion of separation that we're basically told what we are, how we identify, you know, we are our name and, and we are this thing that is separate from everyone as we're growing up, there's always going to be lack in that understanding and thinking that we are what we think we are because everyone else is 
feeling the same way. And, and in that existence, you're existing in comparison. So as long as you're getting your sense of value and self-worth from how you stack up relative to all these quote unquote other people that you think are separate from you, there will always be the opportunity for lack. You know, if, if, even if you're the richest person in the world, say money's your thing and, and you're the richest person in the world and no one's richer than you. It's like, all right, there's no lack there, but what about the other billion categories that you could compare yourself to like love, attractiveness, uh, strength, any, you know, just to say a few main ones, it's like, no one's at the top of all of those. And that's not even like, I, I don't even want it to be like, if you're at the top of all of them, somehow we have like this superhuman that has all of them that all of a sudden lack wouldn't exist. Cause that just doesn't happen. There's always something. So, and even with being at the top of one, it means that you can't also be at the top of the other. There's kind of like always going to be a trade-off. So yeah, I think short answer to that is there's going to be lack as long as you exist in the illusion of duality thinking that that's what you are because in that existence you will exist in comparison and in comparison there's always lack that was awesome yeah. and, and what i liked there was that there will always be lack as long as you perceive yourself to be a certain way and and, and that's very much the point but it's interesting because Lack is, instead of thinking about it in terms of lack, let's look at it in terms of wholeness, right? Like we are the entirety of existence. Our awareness is the, aware, the awareness of reality itself. The observer and the observed are one. There is no separation whatsoever, but we get the experience of a separation in order to have experience. That's what experience is. So there would be no experience without that, that separation. And so our entire biological experience is lack. When you think about it, the body needs food, the body needs sustenance, the body needs stuff to keep surviving. And so there is immediately this perception that it needs something because it is the experience of separation from everything else, right? We need to bring in nutrients and energy from the outside world, from the reality around us, right? Because we perceive or we experience a division between us and the reality around us. But then that experience of biological lack becomes the perception of psychological lack which is exactly what Andrew was just talking about. All of a sudden it's like, oh, not only do I need food, but I need people to approve of me, right? Because while food fills me up, so does everybody else giving me value. And that perception is not the case, but you can see where it comes from. You can see why it's easy to fall into. And when you grow up in a society of human beings that have built a whole culture around that idea, right? Uh, on societal value, on fitting in, having people perceive you a certain way, yeah, it's really easy to fall into, but it really just comes down to recognizing that the experience isn't necessarily the reality, right? The experience of duality isn't the reality of unity. Reality is everything is one. There is no division between, between the observer and the observed, right? But the experience is that of division. And so as long as you can keep that in mind, you can experience both. So keeping this, this concept that we're discussing, keeping this close to the vest, basically, and having that awareness because we have to, because you know, I go back to the, I think Alan Watts was talking about something about the, the, the way the linguistics work, just saying, I, I, you know, I am not you. And that whole thing with the subject for a predicate um, that just makes separates us. So you're looking at that we're separated from an evolutionary standpoint, a psychological standpoint, and then, uh, you know, language standpoint. It's like, you know, you can't understand why most of us are not. If, if we had this conversation with three other men, they would say, what are these guys? What are these cats talking about? Like, are they, have they lost? Have they gone off the edge? So, you know, 
it makes sense. That's my life in a nutshell. I just want to say that very quickly that uh, people run, man, for sure. And, and I'm, I'm far enough along, along the journey. I don't care <laughs> at all, but I, I just, I, I can't help it. I'm always like this. And it's not that I go out talking about philosophy or spirituality or anything like that. It's just that it's like Jesus said, you know, my yoke is light. I don't carry anything with me. And, and when people try to compete, when people try to compare, whenever they play those games, I'm blissfully oblivious. I know what's happening. I just don't play at all. And it infuriates people because they don't know where to get their energy from. They don't know what to do. Like, this is something I, I found really interesting along the spiritual path is there's this point, this point where you start avoiding energy vampires, people with low vibration, negativity, that kind of thing. And that's great, except that you're telling yourself you have a finite amount of energy, that you can be threatened. Mm. So you start, you're avoiding them and reinforcing that low state of energy. I just walk up to them. Hey, how's it going? Feed away. Like there, there's nothing you can take from me. There's no danger whatsoever. Let's talk for as long as you can take it. Because to them, I'm like a, like a radioactive machine. Like I, I'm literally just glowing and they don't like it at all. And it's just because I'm free. That's it. Now, is your energy, this energy that you're talking about, would you say, if you had to give it a word of where you're getting your energy from, would it be wholeness? Yeah, I would. I would say that that's exactly what it is, is that it's not, it's a result of effortlessness. It's what's there that I'm allowing myself to tap into. And, I, and you were asking earlier about practices. One of the best practices I ever learned was Wing Chun Kung Fu, because in Wing Chun Kung Fu, if you're, if you get lost in your thought, you're going to get hit okay? because it's such a close martial art. You're only about a foot and a half away from the person that, you, that you're fighting against and, and you're punching straight at their center line. So there's, there's not much you can do in terms of, of avoiding that. You have to learn how to deflect right then and there. And if you're panicked, if you're stressed out, you become so, so mechanical, you become so rigid you cannot flow with what's happening. You start trying to expect things that are going to happen. You start trying to, you know, you're, you're giving them indications of what you're going to do without even recognizing it. Cause of course your body is an expression of your awareness. Right. And so for me, Wing Chun was the perfect practice to be able to relax in the moment under pressure, yoga, Tai Chi, that never really worked for me. Tai Chi is great, but it's very difficult in the world as it is right now, where you have a timeline, you have to meet deadlines, you have to be certain places, you have to do certain things. Under all that pressure, it's very difficult to go, hold on, let me do downward dog, right? Whereas in Wing Chun, you have somebody throwing chain punches at your face and you have to relax while that's happening because if you don't, you're, you're going to end up getting hit. And so for me, that was, that was an awesome practice in the fact that relaxation is your best strategy for living. Did you have anxiety when you were young? Because it's, you know, Andrew already confessed and I'm just, you know, a ball of anxiety. So how was uh, how was anxiety when you were growing up? I had crippling anxiety. Um, my anxiety would get me to the point where I would have chest pains. Um, I would black out on a sidewalk. Um, I used to vomit. I used to have like a lot of problems. I had irritable bowel syndrome. Um, like I the person I was prior to waking up to the fact that I wasn't that person um, was so radically different than the person you're talking to right now. I can't express how different that person was. That person was lost. He confused. He hated himself. He didn't understand anything. And he was desperate and needy. Like there was so much. And, and in that state, there's nothing but stress. There's nothing but lack. And, and again, like I, I, I bounced off rock bottom man so many times because I, 
I was sure that if I just chased the right idea of myself, if I just had enough control over the situation and what people thought of me, that I would be happy. I, I, I'll admit I wasn't nearly as willing or as courageous as Andrew is in this change. Like I was desperately, desperately trying to make the idea of myself work because it seemed to be working for everybody else. Now, now did you start off your journey on a self-development kick, a Tony Robbins kick? Like, where did that start? I feel like everybody gets a little bamboozled in the beginning when you're like, oh, because I still, I'm not going to lie, I still have a Tony Robbins coach and I can't wait for the shit to end. It is like, just the same fucking nonsense. I've got to get up and say, yes, I feel like a fucking jackass now. And I'm like, I, I just know this game. I'm going to keep, there's always going to be a fucking suffering. And I gotta, I gotta like it, this game does not end. That's why you guys make so much money. It's frustrating. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And yes, I did. I did go through all of that, you know, uh, how to win friends and influence people, Tony Robbins, you know, the whole thing. And, and, and largely for me, it was for sales. Uh, I was learning how to, how to be a better salesman. And so these were things that, that were recommended in those circles. And so I started doing that. But that was really attractive to me after coming out of Roman Catholicism, where coming from a broken home, from parents who weren't married and, and all of that, where I was just a child of Satan. Like basically everybody had just judged me. I had no value in that sphere whatsoever. And so all of a sudden it's like, well, your value can be how you talk, how you accomplish things, you know, who you are and how people perceive you. And I just glommed onto that with, with, with both hands and, and yeah, it just rode me back down to rock bottom eventually. But um, there is value in it, in recognizing that you can accomplish things. You can prove yourself wrong. Like you can prove the narrative that you can't accomplish anything wrong. And that's the value in those things. But then it starts to become an addiction to achieving. It becomes an addiction to getting to that end result and boosting yourself up. And this was something I realized I was, I was down in Ohio for this convention and it was one of these motivational conventions and, and, and whatnot. And um, after the speaker was done, we went outside, I was having a cigarette bunch of other people were standing there and they're all like, Oh, that was awesome. Did you catch that? Yeah. I bought the latest DVD and they were so stoked and so excited. I'm like, Hey, so how are your sales this month? Oh, I, I haven't gotten anything. It's like, okay, but how much, have, how much time have you spent listening to these DVDs? Oh, I listened like five a week. It's like, so you're addicted to feeling motivated, but you're not actually motivated. And that was, that was it. That was, it was that addiction to trying to catch that carrot. Right. And so that, that, that ended up leading me to another point of depression, of course, because then it's like, well, I can't be happy by getting to the end result. How can I be happy? Dude, I, I just went through this. It's just, it's just like there's so much uh, similarity with the hell Ray went through. Like, you know, divorced. And my dad's in the witness protection program and I'm broken. And we're going to figure it out. So we'll use words. It's very, you know, that's cool, right? Shit, man. So now you said that you, you are a different person than you were back then. But for a person that's that would be listen to this going. But we all you guys are saying you are who we're all the same and we're all this and that. How do you make that separation of you are in a way a better whatever you want to say, a, a higher version of yourself, a better version of yourself? You did get better then, correct? I'm going to answer this one quickly because you caught me and, and, I, and you're right. The wording there was definitely not right. Um, basically, it comes down to the difference between who I thought I was versus who I am anyway. Right. And that's it is that I spent so long trying to be who I thought I was. I was trying to be that concept. And as long as I was, I couldn't be who I actually was. And that was the downfall of every relationship I'd ever had is I was trying to be who I thought they wanted me to be. Even in my friendships, I was trying to be something. And because of that, they were never really my friend. They were never in a relationship with me. Right. And so that is the difference is that 
I'm actually authentically myself because there's no idea that I have to live up to. There's no, there's no need that I have to satisfy. There's, there's no value by comparison or by my relative relationship to other people at all. And because of that, I am authentically myself almost too much as some people have told me. Oh, that's a great answer, right? No, no, man. That, that's very, very cool. Now to, to you, Andrew, authenticity, being the truest version of yourself. That's like the, the whole point of this podcast. Like how has this looked like for you with having the day job in New York and then having the, the duality piece come into it? Yeah. Yeah. I think people a lot of times will get caught up in an idea of what they are. And when people will say things like, you know, just be yourself, they're like, okay, well, who am I? And they try and figure it out. And then they try and cling to that idea and they're like, okay, this is me as my authentic self. And this is what I'm going to be. And what you are as your authentic self is what you are when you're not trying to be anything at all. That's really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people in the space of, you know, just be yourself, be your authentic self, they, they misunderstand it. And they think that it is an idea that they are, there is this high, you know, higher self, people love tossing that one around that they need to become and they need to pretend to be it or whatever. And it's like, no, there is no higher self. There is no you separate from what you are right now. So it comes down to a bit of a paradox that you're always changing and always yourself. So you've never not been yourself, but you, the self that you are, that we all are right now is not the same self that we were when we started this podcast, but we're still ourselves the whole time. So being yourself is just what you are when you're not trying to be anything at all, when you're not trying to be something for the world, when you're not clinging to an idea. And with that understanding that you are changing every single moment, there's, there's more freedom in that. And, and it's, it's almost like you don't have to, worry so much and be so caught up in changing yourself. You can, that, that's sort of relaxing too, right. To recognize that you're changing every single moment. It's not like you have to keep track of it or anything. It's like, no, that's, that's taking care of itself. Like you're, you're changing. Yeah. Don't worry it's about like, it. It's like, self-sufficient. Cause if, if I guess exactly. if, you're, if we're becoming self-aware and you understand your psychological patterns and the negative effects that these patterns have on your life, then you're just Coincidentally, well, not coincidentally, you're, you're, you're making better choices. That is a breakthrough in itself. So, yeah, there's a, a quote by Carl Jung that goes, uh, It is not I who create myself, rather, I happen to myself. And I, you know, that's why I'm going to Switzerland. That's my, that's my guy, Carl Jung. I can't fucking wait. And it's like, just, just, I feel like that's where I get a lot of my juice is just, just that introspection, that self awareness, that, that going deeper. And now that was another thing I was going to ask both of you guys. We're talking a lot about the present moment. Have you guys dug into the past? Is there even a point to go through the traumas or to go through of any of that stuff that we've seen people discuss and sell and that work, so to say? Um, so I think no. And that's a lot of what Ray's uh, video Discover Transcendence is talks about is that it's not like you have to dig into your past self and solve all of these issues. It's more so just the recognition that that's not what you are. And that kind of transcends all of that. That being said that, you know, before I recognize that, like, I think for me, it was 
my initial stark realization that I wasn't my past. It was like, I didn't need to keep digging in because I think, so I think that everyone's always trying to dig into their past when they are worrying, they're trying to figure out a way to validate whatever situation they were in or blame someone. And there's a, just a ton of identity involved and ego in whatever shit you've been through. And it exists in duality. And we were talking about this, I forget which call this past week, but Ray was talking about how, you know, recognizing that you are everyone is a lot of people get caught up in the conceptual of that. But if you go back, you know, to a past situation, say you were abused, it becomes a lot more difficult to recognize that that abuser is you. And so in the recognition, if you actually fully recognize it, it's like there isn't as much to sort through anymore because you see yourself in the correct way as everything experiencing right now for eternity. But that being said, you know, as simple as this may seem, it's not, it's not easy at all. And and we try and be (laughs) express that, that just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy. And it's not to say like, Oh, just, you know, you're not your past. That's it. Sometimes it's a very stark realization people have. So for me, before I recognized that there were some practices that I did, I did this really deep meditation that sort of got me to dig into my subconscious for an experience I had in high school where I was doing a debate and I totally froze and I just had no sense of, I guess, control is a really good way to put it. And I was, I was afraid and I was embarrassed and all these things. And I basically went back through this meditation. Like it took me into my subconscious and it did work. It actually helped a lot because I went back and basically just rec- I felt all those feelings again. And I recognized each one that it was okay to feel that there was nothing wrong with any of the things that I felt because the whole time it wasn't the situation that I was so worried about happening again. It was the feelings that I was afraid of happening again, because I thought those were bad feelings or negative feelings. And they're just feelings. There's nothing good or bad about them. So that's just a situation that helped me before I recognized that I'm not what I think I am. So I think there's like everything, there's levels to it. It's not as, as simple as it seems. There are steps and there are other things that can help people recognize that before maybe they recognize that they're not fully what they think they are. You want to add to that, Ray? Yeah, actually, it's, um, it's interesting because when in life coaching, um, I've had people ask, like, are we going to explore my childhood? And and I'll often say, like, no, we don't do that. And it's not <laughs> that we don't talk about it, but it's that we don't focus on it. Because as much as, as a habit or a pattern was formed or, or reinforced previous to right now, it's being acted out now. So the problem is now. The problem is in our, our current relationship between ourselves and our, our relationship with reality, how we perceive that division again. And so as we start to look at, how much we're committed to the idea of ourself being separate so we can feel control and certainty and all that other fun stuff. We start to recognize where those had those patterns came from, but it's like Andrew was saying, like when we look back at a moment in our past that we don't want to think about and we recognize, Oh, that's, that's where a lot of that, uh, that anxiety came from or a lot of that insecurity, or that was, you know, where that emotion came from that I'm afraid to, to experience again. 
but we recognize that memory knowing that it wasn't about us because that's where the trauma comes from, right? Is that we had this experience and then identified with it. We made it about us instead of just something we had to go through. Instead of something that we experienced and that changed us, we added it to our narrative. And that's what exacerbated that feeling. That's what made that thing, that, that response so traumatic because the trauma wasn't the event. It's our response to the event. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so it helps to just remember that the problem is now, but as you do that, you will start to see the moments of now from your past that, that led to this, that led to where the now is coming from or where that pattern it, it emerged from. It's just recognition, but it's always now, like everything that happened in the past happened now when it was the past, right? It's just a habit that we've learned to continue on, that we perpetuate. We self-actualize this habit every moment of every day because we don't recognize that we built up these habits over time. Nobody was telling us as we were identifying that, by the way, if you hold on to that, it's gonna, it's gonna drag you down over time. Nobody mentioned that. Everybody was just blissfully going along, identifying themselves into a state of misery and telling us it was the right thing to do. That's what... It's all just fun. I'm just remembering, and now I'm remembering my past. I'm like what, st- what started me on this thing was getting over stage fright, and I had a similar experience to Andrew. And I was 15 years old. I got on stage. It's fucking froze. It was terrifying. It's horrible. Still, and you go through the process, and you you know you kind of forget about it. And I start doing the stand up comedy. And what happens at the beginning of this year? It like hit me like a. I was on stage, Broadway Comedy Club. We had a development deal. This shit never popped up. Out of nowhere, the 15-year-old Scott came out and, dude, nowhere. I all I saw everything again, and I froze up, and I fucking embarrassed myself. I haven't done comedy since. It's been so fucking traumatic. I was like, Jesus Christ, you did all this work, and it just came out of nowhere again. Like, And I, it's funny how you're saying it, because I feel like it's almost like even with the, the Tony Robbins stuff, with the Joe Dispenza, you almost put a Band-Aid. On this, and like you're hyping yourself up. Like I told, if I tell myself and I send a deprivation tank and I just do it, yeah, you'll be good for a little bit. But the second you kind of come off that, and we haven't brought up this word, I was actually wondering how long it would take us. It's been over an hour. We haven't said fear yet. Um, pretty good. Fear is um, the reason I really got into all this stuff because I was so terrified and I was like, this, if, if I don't want this to control my life anymore, it's um, it's weird stuff. Wow. Did you get over your? Are you? Done with that little subconscious thought now, Andrew, the, the that a fear piece that you had when you were at the debate. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is interesting because fear is something, I don't know, for me that, that did help. And that got rid of the just deep existential fear of putting myself out there. And with fear, it's an interesting thing because it's always so much worse in your head. And especially with an event like that, I, after that, you know, I, I still had presentations I I gave in college and, and stuff, and I would get super nervous for them, but I'd always do all right. You know, I would get through them. And so every time I was like, Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be in my head. And there were times that I didn't do great, but I still got through it. And it was no matter what it was, it was never as bad as it was in my head. And even times where I have, you know, frozen again, almost, it's like, there's such a quick recognition that whatever feeling is coming up is okay. But it's like, there's nothing 
as long as you're okay with every feeling and say you're comfortable in discomfort, there's no longer, if you're comfortable in discomfort, there's nothing to be, there's no longer any discomfort really. Right. So even in situations like that, it, it can help a lot. And I think with creating content and just, for example, doing podcasts and stuff and being a guest on a podcast and going in, you know, even when I started, I, I still remember my first guest appearance, which is, I don't know, a year and a half ago. Now I was, I was nervous for that. And I didn't do that great of a job because I was so focused on what the answers might be or what the questions might be and how I was going to do. And I had this idea of myself that I was carrying with me through this as someone who, you know, talks about this type of stuff and there's nothing to worry about because like nothing fucking matters and all that shit. And I, I, I brought my idea of myself into the situation with me. And so there was still a lot of reaching for control. And now I go into things and I enjoy the lack of control. Like I'll have someone say, they're going to send me questions that I can prepare for. And I'll be like, no, I'm good. I would rather, I would rather not know because it's just, it's more fun to go into it right? when your strings are cut to go into it with just like, let's see what happens. Let's see where this thing goes. Let's see what comes to me in the moment. Because without my idea of myself, something always comes to you when you're not getting that energy suck from bringing your idea of yourself into it. And then kind of that being like a filter through which you experience everything all of a sudden when there isn't that it's just sort of like more of a free flow from hearing it to something being said which i don't know i feel like i'm not even controlling half the time no and i completely agree that's why i love podcasts because it's like i want the uncertainty of what the hell is going to happen but we are like i know we all have to pay attention so like you're 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 automatically have to be mindful in these moments. Like I've described this when I do this as dancing, because I love dancing. I'm a phenomenal dancer, all that good stuff. Love, love him. I get that same feeling doing this because it's just that perfect essence of like, let's just see what happens, but we got to be on our game. We got to be ready to go. You know? Slow for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, fear is, well, we've all heard, uh, you know, fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Right. And, and, and that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the, the willingness to carry on despite it. And we've heard all these things and it's great conceptually and whatnot. But when you're there, when you're on stage and you've been on stage before, nothing happened. And all of a sudden it's like, again, you're brought back to this memory. It's like, what the hell just happened? How did I end up here? And it's interesting because life is there's so much variation in all of our experiences. There's, it's like a, a combination lock with infinite digits on it. Right. And all of a sudden you've had a day that was slightly different or, or rather slightly similar to the day that you, you were 15 years old going up on stage, just slight similarities. And all of a sudden you're standing on stage and your brain's like, shit, this is exactly like it was, or at least close enough. Yeah. It reminds you of who you used to be. Right. The light, man, the light on a dude, let me tell you guys what happened. My cousins put me in for this show at Broadway comedy. It was a, it was a big development show. They're like, you have six weeks to go. Good luck crush that show. That's easy. No, but that's preparing and all this stuff. You get the deal. And it was like a Monday night show, Monday night shows. It was like the same setup as this, whatever it was like a small setting, whatever it was. I drank a little too much. It was a hot, hot night and it was bolstering. And the second I started sweating, everything fucking hit me. And it was like, holy shit. Like 
where, where, where were you going? Because I, I, at this point, I was on stage for 40, 50 times and nothing ever happened. Just a little. Out of, and listen, you probably get a, I did get a little too comfortable because like you think you're a big shot. You're like, you know, you're not preparing as much. Oh, I can just go up there and just start winging it. No, you can't. You schmuck. You've been doing it for a year and a half. It's not how it's not how this stuff works. So it was a, a lesson learned, at least, I think. I think. Yeah. Well, and if you take it as that, right? I mean, if you think about it. Again, we identify, we go, oh, that was super embarrassing. Was it? I mean, at the end of the day, nobody was really hurt by it and your life continues, right? And, and you learned. And, and next time, if it happens, you're going to be like, ah, I've been here before. I'm just going to talk anyway. I'm here. It's my time, right? And that's, that's kind of it. Like, I remember when I was younger, somebody took me to karaoke for the first time and I was super shy. Now I get to karaoke. I'm like, you're willing to give me a microphone and listen? Sweet. <laughs> it's a different attitude. Ray's not going to shut up. That's what I would have thought. Yeah, so it's, it's funny. Go ahead. Bring, go ahead. Bring, bring up karaoke because that's something like for me, it used to be like any sort of public speaking type thing was just would induce this extreme amount of fear. And it wasn't even because thinking back, like middle school was totally fine. It, it was kind of that experience that I had uh, in high school with the debate that that really shifted my perspective on that because I was always pretty quiet and I would be you know, worried about what people thought of me, but it was never targeted at like public speaking until that happened because I have memories of doing just fine and there being like no fear whatsoever with it. But with karaoke, it's funny because even recently, uh, my friend had a birthday party at a bar and there was like, it was pretty crowded. It wasn't like a huge bar, but there was probably 40, 50 people. And like people didn't want to do karaoke and I was like so jacked up to do it. Like I did the first song and then I was like emceeing. Like I was, I was on the mic, like, Hey, what are, what are you guys doing back there? Why don't you come up here and do a little karaoke? And it wasn't like I had a ton of liquid courage in me or anything. I, I was had like maybe one, maybe two beers. And all of a sudden it was like, I was, it was a situation that I could have never pictured myself doing in that and just like having no discomfort whatsoever. And I think, you know, doing what I was going to say before is just like getting experience with things is taking action is the best way you can do it. Cause it's not even like you do it enough that you're not, you don't feel afraid anymore. I mean, it's kind of like that, but it's also that you just can't find a reason to be afraid anymore. There's nothing left to be like, Oh yeah, I, I should be afraid. It just like almost doesn't even compute doesn't anymore. Click. It doesn't make any sense. So because now you got the you got that level of bravery or, cur- cur- or courage or whatever that is. Because I think that there's something for me at least. I've just it's funny that you are the fucking TikTok guy with all these fucking followers and stuff, and then you have the issue. It's like there. I think that there's a reason why you had that fear because there's that's where your path lies almost. Or at least that's the way I look at it. Like, this is my biggest fear. If you tell me like what I want to do, I, I would love to be like the Alan Watts of the generation or something like wacky like that. But I, I now I got to ch- switch to public speaking. But I, I think that that journey that I'm on was like, you had to get over the stage for a comedy. Now you're moving towards this other thing, whatever. And I really think that there's a reason why those feelings were there. Um, were you good, Andrew, before, before you went to high school, like giving speeches and all that stuff and, and talking? Um, yeah. I mean, when I was younger, there was never like a big, speech that i had to give really but uh actually yeah there was i remember in uh church once back when i was catholic i read the uh uh what is the thing uh something of the cross stations of the cross and 
I remember I read them one year thinking back, I totally forgot about this when I was like, I don't know, maybe 12 or something. And just like read all of them to like the entire mm-hmm. congregation of like a few hundred people. And there was just no, there's, I, I was told some dude kind of a, a kid's dad, like made fun of me. Cause I had a deep voice. Cause I was like, right after it dropped. That's the only thing I remember was like, that kid's voice is too deep. That was annoying to listen to. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Like, that's such a strange thing to say. But because uh, I think my voice dropped before a lot of my friends, it was like seventh grade or something. Um, but yeah, so there was that. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting thing because now nerves still come up all the time. There's just not a resistance to them anymore. That that was the biggest thing that helped me was that, you know, it's okay to be nervous. There's nothing wrong with it. You can do a really good job and be nervous at the same time. So it's not even like I don't, I don't not get nervous anymore. It's like when it happens, it happens and it's okay. And I know that that doesn't have to hinder me from doing well. Like I'm going to do it anyway and, and it'll be just fine. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. It was so weird for me because I, I like I was always doing speeches as a kid. I was a science project. My mother had me spelling bees, math bees. And I was so used to like having that critical thinking on stage. And then all of a sudden, freshman year in high school, puberty, baby, we got to worry about what people think about you. I, I like couldn't my brain couldn't comp- compute what was going on, like like from a from a physiological standpoint. Why are you shaking? You did this six months ago and didn't care. And now you're in a high school of boys and you're shaking up here like a little bitch. It was such a trippy thing. And I came home. I, I told my mother I was like, crying. She's like, what are you talking about? You've been in you, you did old spelling bees, you jerk. I was, it's just funny the way the way we're biologically kind of driven. because that's the, That was the first year you started thinking about what people think about you. Right. And that's been like the biggest crutch of my life, at least for up till a couple of years ago, but still is a little bit of a, of an issue. So. Yeah. High school is traumatic for sure. Absolutely. It's probably one of the fir- the worst things that we do to the human species as a whole. I mean, I mean, this is why my daughter is homeschooled and has been homeschooled since she was born. Um, and people have asked me like, well, why don't, why don't you put her in school? It's like, cause I'd like to live with myself at the end of the day. <laughs> and, and it's just because while it's important to learn things, it's far more important to learn about yourself. And, and I see the difference now that she's 14 going on 15, she's going to be going into high school next year and her friends are, are needy and insecure and manipulative and all of this other stuff that she just doesn't participate in. She looks at me, she's like, I don't, I don't understand why they're doing this. It's like, because they think they need to, right? Because they don't feel like they're enough because every year of their life, they've been graded and compared and had expectations thrust on them that, and whenever they had a moment to just be free, they had to go overboard because the rest of the time they're a prisoner. I mean, the, the, the line in the sand for me was the fact that you can, if you have to ask to go to the bathroom, they can say no. And so to me, the closest thing to the environment of school is prison. Damn, son. And now she's going to high school, real like regular high school. She's going to be like, on a oh, no, level. she's it's part time. See, that's the thing is that she gets to do most of her schoolwork at home. And then on the weekends or occasionally she goes in for like a science class or a workshop or something like that. So she still gets that time to get away and have her own reflection. And I think that's the biggest thing is that we never got that growing up. It was like, go to school 40 hours a week. Here's your homework. Right. And 
the rest of the time that we're feeling insecure or anxious or worrying about the argument we're going to have with somebody tomorrow because we argued yesterday and we have to see that person, we never had any time to self-reflect. We never had any time to process this stuff normally at all. And then, so this is something that always I find kind of funny with parents who are, who say like, oh, well, you got to put them in school for socialization. It's like, where, where do you socialize like you do in high school? Show me one place in the world when you're an adult that you right. socialize like you do in high school. Right. You, you, you really hit me with a realization there. I didn't realize how traumatic high school was for me. I really didn't even notice it. And my mother, you're listening, you jerk off. My mother would put me, do, do high school, whatever, regular day, IB classes, all that shit, football till six, and then come home and do, do math. And she put me in math and spelling bees every day. I had to be the best. Ma, you're a jerk off. Sorry. This is Ray. Ray figured it out now. Damn, son. What are you doing with uh, social media with her? Oh, I, I don't mind if she goes on social media. I always advise her to to be careful. Obviously, people aren't what they say they are most of the time. And she's a 14-year-old girl. So, I mean, there's things that she has to keep in mind. But for the most part, I, I leave her to her own devices. And, and as a result, she's had some times where she's overindulged on TikTok for a bit. And then what's interesting is because she has that time to reflect, she'll come back and go... You know, I think I've been spending a little bit too much time on TikTok. I don't really feel as good as I've been feeling when I get out for more walks or when I have more time to draw stuff like that. So it's her own sensitivity that that's steering her in a certain direction. It's not me saying this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do because there's no sensitivity there. I mean, all we're growing, all we're doing is raising people to follow rules they don't understand. That helps nobody. Man, it it's fascinating how no one had no one gets to experience that sensitivity until they're at least 18 basically minimum it's like the entire time you're just following rules because you think you have to and because you are told that there are consequences if you don't but you don't actually experience them like that's so fucking crazy like i feel like for myself even through college cuz i was still college was still an environment that it's like kind of, I don't know, a fake environment in a way. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's like, I feel like now almost is, is when I am starting to experience those things. And like, I'll make a video literally about that, like scrolling on TikTok too long and then talk through just like in the video, how I'm dealing with it and recognizing that I don't have to judge myself. I can just move on. It's like seeing that and being able to have that sensitivity of, of, recognizing that, oh, this is why people talk about why you shouldn't be on social media too much. But if all you're doing is just hearing that you shouldn't be on social media too much because they did this study and it's bad for people and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you don't really fully grasp it until you experience it yourself. And there's so little of that throughout our childhoods and even young adulthood in a lot of ways that, that, until we're able to experience something for ourselves and see the consequences and rec- be able to recognize them or go through the consequences is when we and how we learn. It's not just being told to do this and, and not do that because that's the way things are and that's how we have defined success and blah, blah, blah. So it almost even, fuck, it even ties into the idea of success that we can't even experience or figure out what the idea of success is for us because we're fucking told what the idea of success is our entire life. So we just go with it. We're just like, oh, everyone else thinks this is success. So I guess I'm going to do that. And it's like, no wonder we're all fucking mentally 
inept these days is because we've always been told that this is what you should strive for and this is what you should do. And we've never had the ability to recognize it for ourselves, just like right meaning. Yeah. Give it the meaning that you want to give it, bro. bro, I literally did. Like I was so all my mother. I I, all I wanted to do was make my mother happy. And she told me, make a million dollars. Marry a nice Italian girl and build a house in Brooklyn. Did that by 27. I'm sitting there. I was so upset. I was like, what, what is going on? I thought this was, this is it. And uh, you know, you realize I learned the hard way. Like you're not living by your, you know, reality or even the values I gave. I was living by, you know, other, even society. That's, you know, generally in Brooklyn, that's what everybody thinks would be the answer. And I was, it just didn't fit. Andrew, how are you doing with this path and the girls? Do girls find you weird the tech because like i'm like a, i don't want to text the girl every second every day i like i have very stringent rules about the texting and all this stuff how has that been for you um it's been less frequent i would yeah. say um i have no i don't hold back in conversation to get into this stuff i find and i don't want to generalize but uh a lot of times, a lot of the females that I've come across will be, as opposed to my male friends, will be much more involved in like the spiritual, astrological realm of things. I don't know why exactly that is, but it's just my personal experience. Nothing, no generalizations whatsoever. <laughs> but um, so I'll, I'll, you know, if I'm at a bar, for example, and start having conversations with people. And it's like, even talking about, I don't know, anything like manifestation. And I'll say, you know, why do you feel like you need that? And they're like, well, I don't, you know, I, I just, I just want it. It's like, well, what don't you have now? What, what about yourself? Do you think that you need that for that you don't have already and it was this is just a specific conversation this, this i'm kid, remembering this now. kid andrew's just breaking girls <laughs> hearts in the middle of the bar breaking their reality in the midst of it uh, yeah and they i do no love astrology issue. they do love yeah astrology. yeah and so even that stuff you know it's like yeah any of it is like that's an interesting narrative like what what told you that that's the way things are and and things like that and so that's just specific conversations but overall i don't know i've never just like me personally, I've, I don't know if it stems from just like growing up in a loving environment and being close to my family. I've never really felt a need for a strong personal, uh, romantic relationship. Like it's never been something that I've, I've felt like I needed. So I've been in a few, but it's, I, I see so clearly that I don't need it. Sometimes, sometimes I confuse myself and, into thinking that I don't want it. And, or I, I like, I'm very happy with my life right now. And that's just gonna, there's a chance I could fuck it all up. And uh, so it's something, I don't know, I go back and forth with myself about, um, but yeah. So that I think is a, a big reason why I didn't have any serious relationships when I was younger, like through high school, never really did. And and even through college, you know, there were a few more serious relationships, but yeah, last year I was, I had a girlfriend for a while and yeah, but it's, uh, it's been interesting since, you know, waking up a little bit, it, it hasn't really changed my experience with that. 
as much besides the recognition of my, I don't know, like innate desires and being able to see them as recognize the consequences of them. If I were to act on them in the same way as maybe I used to without as much regard for the other person. I feel like I'm kind of beating around the bush, but what he's trying to say is he's not smashing you hoes anymore. That's what he's saying. Okay. It's uh, it's, it's, I don't know. There's just more of a recognition. I don't even know what I'm exactly trying to say. I I would say I'm in the same in a similar thing because not that, I decided this year to start taking it more seriously because I, I just went through, you know, we go through a divorce, it's just a different, it's a different thing. So I really like shut down towards women for a little bit. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to make sure that the person I spend in a, whatever you just said in a way better way, I'm going to say it is like, I'm not just going to be with a girl just to sleep with her. I'm just, I'm going to want a person I could truly connect with. I'm going to bring up all the spirituality stuff. Surprisingly, the girls really like it. Even, you know, they go a little bit too with the astrology. Oh my God, are you an Aquarius? And, uh, but for me, it's been it's been like really nice just giving your time to one person or you know whoever instead of just being a. I've either been like married or I've been a hoe. It's been one way or the other in my life, so it's just nice to be down this. Uh, to quote a smart man who said this earlier, it's about balance. So I think that's what I kind of figured out. Uh, Ray, we know your story. That's you know married. You how long have you been married for? Uh, it'll be seventeen years. Coming up in eighteen years in November, but uh, I was single for about four years. Um, prior um, to that and and through about three years of that I had woken up so I dated here and there and I I, I, uh, I had to work through all that stuff that you guys are working through which is all kind of fun um, but it really just comes down to the fact that I, I didn't hold back I didn't care anymore and it was because the last relationship I was in prior to that had just turned out to be a toxic dumpster fire like the cops showed up on my birthday like it was a really it was a really interesting event we'll talk about it one day but um so I just didn't want to lose the wholeness that I had discovered in myself. And so I'd go to the bar, I'd go out with my friends. I was the ultimate wingman. I mean, get me talking to somebody. They're going to come back to the table because I like to talk. And so they just send me out and it's like, Oh, go talk to them, bring them back. Like, okay, I'll do that. And, and so that was it. But it was always just, all right, have a good night. See you later. I'm, I'm not interested in like whatever whatsoever, but it was for the conversation. It was for, for the chance to see where they were. And then when I met my wife, um, she was reading a psychology book because she was in psychology at the time. And I kind of walked by. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, what are you learning about? And she was telling me. And I was like, huh. So we talked for a bit. And I was like, you know, if you ever really want to talk about this stuff, I, I'm more than interested to have this conversation. I'm like, but you may not like where it goes. And then I walked away. And a couple of days later, she came back over to me. She started talking to me, but you could tell she wasn't t- quite too sure. And then she avoided me after that and so one day i just walked up to her i'm like you know you don't have to avoid me if you don't want to hang out we don't have to hang out i'm good like i'm just saying if you ever want to chat let me know so we went out that night and we've been together ever since yeah man see he's giving us hope andrew giving us hope that's what i'm i'm just gonna drop see if i drop a line like that in uh ray the girl's not the girl's not coming back i don't got that i don't got that swag like you do depends on the girl right like that that's really it and this is the other thing to keep in mind about you being reality is that your situations and opportunities and ability to, to see certain doorways are going to change. And a conversation with somebody that you may not be able to, to connect with them now, a year from now, you may have a, that, that conversation and see totally different doorways that open up their perception of themselves. And they open up to you in a way that you didn't know they could. There's this idea that there is somebody for you, that there's a soulmate. 
The fact is, is that every single person is the same soul. It's more or less whether you can connect with them, whether you can recognize yourself within them and they can do the same, but you both have to be whole. You can't, you can't complete each other. Right. And that's the only way the journey works is when you're enjoying it for your own reasons. And so are they, there's no need. Yeah, I think, I think too, with that, like, I don't know, part of me just has a lot of sensitivity to feelings of need. And so when I feel it, it's like, ugh. and in my last relationship, it was, it was kind of a lot of that. And there was a lot of things of like long-term discussion. And this was before I sort of, you know, woke up, like we had broken up about a month before that. And there was just a lot of talk early on about, you know, marriage and kids and stuff. And that was always something I was like, ah, come on now. Like I went along with it because I didn't want her to get really mad when she brought it up. But it was like, well, what, like, what are we doing? And now I'm, I'm so much more. I have so much more sensitivity to that, that as soon as I, if I start hearing that early on, I'll be like, stop that right now. None of that, none of that shit. Like chill out. We're here today. And as Ray says, if today isn't enough, it never will be. So seeing that and just, and being more sensitive to it, I don't know. I, I go back and forth between being sensitive to that and, and recognizing that I don't need anyone. And then on the other side being like, I don't want anyone because I don't want my situation being different. So that's more the side that I have to, you know, open up a little more and just, and, and ensure that I'm not purposefully closing off that potential of happening with getting, you know, my idea of myself in the way on the other side. But be willing to, and I have, I can't say this enough to both of you break those eggshells. Don't walk around tiptoeing. If you say, if you mean something, say it, if they end up getting upset with you, work through it. And if they can't work through it with you, then it's not meant to be. And that's, that's it. And you have to be willing to just let that bridge burn. And if you're ever going to know whether it can last. I, I was so, I was with my ex-wife for about 10 years and I was so trained to think certain things were good and bad. Like imagine like a, being like a 1940s Italian woman, that was like my ex-wife. So, you know, you got drinking, you go, she never drank, never did drugs and stuff. And I tell girls what I do. I'm like, listen, sweetie, I just got to tell you, I smoke pot. Every, every girl's been like, and that's the worst thing you do. And I was so in my head. I used to get sick about having to tell people that. It's like, it's so funny, the reality that you live in. And then you come out and you're like, oh, okay. I'm not this much of a, of a, of a mess up or, or whatever you're kind of being told. That's the real, the real reason why I got out of my marriage. It was every, every day. I was like, what did you do wrong? It was one of the, she's one of those girls that just said, you know, I was on this path. And I'm like, I'm trying to learn about myself and trying to get better. Well, I'm, I'm perfect the way I am. I don't need help. And you're the broken kid with the divorced parents and you should work on yourself. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that doesn't really work for me too well. So, Wrong. Oh man, look at, look at all of us guys opening it up here, getting, getting a little emotional. I fucking love it. Love it. So now well, the last part of this, and then we'll, we'll close it out. Um, we got a lot of young listeners. I would say some of them are probably new on this journey. I would say what, what they've said to me is like, Scott, you're saying things that you're talking about things that I kind of know are true, but I just never really was exposed to them. What, what, what is some of uh, or the most important thing you guys could, could say to the, those younger kids or anybody new who's on this path and this journey? Um, just give them a little bit of advice. Uh, I mean, I think something that just helped me a lot before, I'll, I'll keep it a little bit shallower 
in on the social anxiety realm as opposed to you know getting too deep into identity is just for those who are so concerned with what people think of them which is most people most people dictate their lives based on how other people are going to perceive them for it. it it's so common and such so interesting how we make so many decisions based on how X person's going to think even the clothes that we wear, we put our outfit on in the morning. I've had people tell me they can't even choose an outfit. It takes them three hours to pick an outfit because they're so concerned about what XYZ person is going to think of them. So the advice and the recognition and the understanding that actually helped me a ton when I was in that place, say 10 years ago, was the simple recognition that no one is thinking about you the way that you think about you. And no one is thinking about you nearly as much as you think they are because they all have their own entire experience with families and friends and fears and desires and worries and everything that you have about your life that you're always so concerned about. They have that too. They're just as, as deep and as, as fearful and excited and all of that as you are. And how often just bring it back to yourself. How often do you think about someone else's outfit. How many people that you saw yesterday had an outfit that you remember? Maybe it was one. Maybe it's like you have to really dig into it and be like, which ones did I say? Oh yeah, there was that one. It's like, you probably saw thousands, if not tens of thousands of people yesterday. And you don't remember a single thing about them. Anything they said, you might've had 10 to a hundred conversations yesterday. You probably hardly remember any of them. And we are all so wrapped up in our own lives and how they're going. And it's not to say that that is a bad thing in any way. It is just the reality of our existence. So recognizing that everyone has their own life, they're living, they're all worried about themselves. They're all concerned about their existence and what someone thinks of them. They're probably just as concerned about what you think of them as you are of what they think of you. So in that recognition, there's just a lot more freedom. That's a, I don't know, closer bridge to gap for a lot, for a lot of people, um, and yeah, people just aren't thinking about you nearly as much as you think they are. So find some things you enjoy and do that shit and go do it. And through that freedom, there's so much more that you can do and accomplish. And it's okay to suck at first. Everyone sucks at first. Just do it again and realize that they're not even going to remember it tomorrow. Most likely. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing worth doing. That's not worth fucking up first. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, if I was going to say anything that my younger self would have possibly listened to, um, <laughs> it, it really just comes down to remembering that you are not what you think you are. You are never what you think you are. You are never what other people think you are, and they are not what you think they are. And holding on to those ideas will give you some sense of certainty. You'll be able to like, yeah, I can judge this person because I'm better than them and so on and so forth. But all it ends up doing is making it so you always have to chase another idea of yourself because there will always be somebody better if you're comparing yourself. There will always be somebody who has more if you're comparing yourself. And so recognize that the idea of who you are isn't the truth. Who you actually are is only something that you can witness as you get into opportunities to, to demonstrate that. So the more you jump into situations and allow yourself to adapt, the more you'll recognize what you're capable of because self-knowledge is not an idea. It's a state of being. 
It's a state of being that you practice. If you feel indecisive, make more decisions because as you do, you get better at making decisions. The same is true for being yourself. When you're not trying to be an idea of yourself, you are practicing being yourself. And eventually that will become effortless and your life will change. Beautiful guys. Uh, seriously, dudes, I can't thank you enough for joining me. Uh, please come back. We'll do it again. Freaking hour and a half. I love you guys. Uh, find all the, all the info on Andrew and Ray and their podcast in the notes below uh, their TikToks, all the information. Um, anybody wants to come to the Med Gala, I mentioned it last time. I think Andrew's rolling with me. May 5th, we're going to be there. Uh, I'll put that in the link below too. On YouTube, smash the like, leave uh, whatever, all that bullshit you guys got to do. Just do what you got to do. Uh, if you're listening, tell one of your friends about it. Leave a like, review, and subscribe. That's it, man. As always, stay safe, stay positive, stay blessed. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.